0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. chapter 4. And let me pray one more time. Lord, now as we study your word together, and God, be our teacher. God, I pray that you would take your word, and I know it's a living word, and it's a working word. It's the truth by which we're sanctified. And I pray, Lord, that today as we go over this section, Lord, that you would speak to us, and you would do all the innumerable things that only you can do in every single heart here, because you know every person. You know, all the things that they're going through. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by your grace, would just be here in the midst of us and speak to us. Teach us and be glorified, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in today's study, we're going to see, uh, in the overall sense, kind of wanting to be more and more like God in that I want to be like Christ. I want to be a godly man. But then we're going to see three things, I think, that are key in in kind of getting there. Number one is pleasing God. Number two is the will of God. And then number three is by the Spirit of God. And so we begin reading in verse 1. Notice what Paul says. He says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Begin with the word finally there in verse 1. It doesn't necessarily mean that Paul is now, you know, immediately concluding the letter. He still has a couple of very practical chapters to go. But what we see in looking at 1 Thessalonians is chapters 1 through 3 are primarily made up of his commendations for the church. You guys are doing great. And kind of his explanations as far as why they didn't go right away. And so that's kind of the makeup of the first three chapters. But then we're going to see as we take now this turn around the corner, there's a transition now happening. And Paul is going to exhort them in some real practical ways. In verse 1, there's kind of a big exhortation. Notice again there in verse 1, we, he says, urge and exhort. In the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more. You know, Paul is basically saying, "Hey guys, uh, I want you to grow. I-, I want your your biceps to be bigger, man. I want you know you to be stronger. I want you to be able to handle more. I want you to be able to to do more. I want you to be able to run faster and for longer distances." You know, sometimes when we're dealing with people and, and they're immature, you know, we might tell them something like, you know, grow up. What's wrong with you? You know, you need to grow up. Now, I don't think that's what Paul is necessarily saying here because the Thessalonians were were doing pretty good, right? But I think he is telling them that I want you to grow up. I want you to abound more and more, I want you. Don't. It doesn't matter, you know. For us here, maybe you've been a Christian for 37 years. The God still has more for us, and just this greater work that He wants to do in us and through us. And so, this transition here is cool. And Paul urges them. It says there in verse one, and he exhorts them. And those are two really cool words in the Greek language. He's not pushing them around at this point. He's urging them. He's exhorting them. He's doing loving leadership right here. He is passionately pleading for the church to grow and then to develop a solid walk as a Christian. Because one thing that you'll see when you study the church and you, you know go out is as a lot of people are vacillating in their commitment to Christ. And Paul's just saying, boom, no, boom, you should have a solid and stable walk with God And so he's urging them in this place. He's exhorting them. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word is used in that classic passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, I "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, I I beg you that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. After 11 chapters of doctrine, and then he gets into the begging and he asks them to do this in their Duty. We see the same thing in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. He says, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you." There's that begging. There's an imploring to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so we have the same words used here in verse one. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort. But in this case, it's interesting because it's a double dose of that exhortation. And not not only that, it, it's so cool because it's kind of strong in the sense that. He says there in verse one, finally, then brethren, we urge and exhort notice in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. You know, Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was Jesus ambassador. So. When we're reading these words, and we're going to see it even later at the end of our study today, that we got to see it not as a word of of Manny or not as a word of Paul, but as a word of Jesus Christ, the one who died for you on that cross. These are his words. This is his heart. He is urging us. He is exhorting us. He is pleading with us that we would abound more and more. And, you know, the Thessalonians were doing well. I I, I see that when I read this book. And I bet you some of you are doing well. Some of you aren't. But no matter where you are, God says, I still have more for you. I don't want you to simply sit around and be sound. I want you to abound. He wanted them to abound more and more. The Greek word translated abound, it means to furnish one so richly that he has abundance and to exceed and to excel to the point of overflowing. We saw it last week in chapter 3. Look at verse 12 of 3. It says, And and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. We'll see the same thing over in chapter 4, verse 10. The end of that verse we urge you brethren that you increase more and more you know that we 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 grow in the right direction you know we're all changing you know as we go through life we're growing some of us are growing in the wrong direction if you know what i mean and we're not we're not the same you know our hair color might be different we might have a couple of uh, lines on our faces here and there um we're we're changing. The only the only question is, is it for good or for bad? Some people they, they the older they get, the more set in their ways they get, uh they grow in the wrong direction, but there's no staying still. We are always in progress in one way or another, and and really for us as Christians, the calling and the urging and the exhortation and the pleading from our Lord is I want you to continue to grow. In, in the right direction, in the Lord Jesus. That's Jesus' heart. And and Paul brings this up right here. And then he brings us to that place where, to me, I'm like, okay, Lord, well, how? How do I do this? And God says, number one, one of the things you have to do in life is you have to make it your aim to to be pleasing to God. Look what he says again there in verse 1. Finally, then brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul brings something up so huge that I would call it one of the, the pillars of life. You guys see this building right here? It has the four or one, two, three, four, five, six columns where it's hidden in that wall right there. Five are visible. These are pillars. They hold everything up. Pleasing God is a pillar. It's one of the principles of life that we have to just bring into our hearts. We teach our kids to say please, but do we teach them to please God? It's a pillar of life. It's a column that holds everything else up. It's been said that everyone lives to please someone. Did you guys know that as we're making our decisions, as we're going through our day, as we're living our life, we are constantly behind everything, motivated with the hope of pleasing someone. Sometimes it's me. I'm I'm really living my life to please me. Oftentimes it's our spouse. I'm living my life to please my spouse. Maybe it's my parents. A lot of people are living their life, believe it or not, just longing, crying out for the approval of their father or their mother. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends. But what we need to do is to erase all of that, utterly erase it and just replace it with a heart that longs to please God that's where we have to be because if you live to please men or others and and you know what you find yourself doing is just frustrating you'll never be able to please everybody and you're going to lose out in life you know we need to make any and all adjustments to come to a place where we live to please god you know one guy said this many people regard the christian life as a set of rules to be obeyed or a list of prohibitions to be avoided, but Paul regarded it as the outworking of a loving desire to please God who had chosen him. You know, and if you put that behind everything, it just, man, it makes everything come into crystal clear aspect. You know, if you want a formula for failure, then try to please everybody, okay? But if you want the formula for success... Be earnest in your attempt to please God. Beware of the trap, and it's something that we're so inclined to do. Beware of that trap in living to please others. You know, I love that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it's not the music as much as it is the lyrics, but he says this, So here I go again, again. I've let myself get spread so thin. I can see right through my skin. So many different voices call and I try hard to please them all. I run in circles till I fall. And so I'm falling on my knees and praying, please, 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 only you, only you. Please, please, please take my heart and make it true. Let everything I say and everything I do, please, 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 only you. And that's what he's saying right here, you guys, yeah I want you to grow, and I want you to be like God, and you have to make it your aim in life to be pleasing to God, you know in second corinthians five nine that's what Paul says. he says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. that's our aim, that's our goal in Colossians one ten we see the same thing that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. That's how we walk worthy. That's how we are conformed into his image. When we get a heart that desires to please God. And so we read in verse 2, he says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. I'll be honest with you. I'm super excited with what God's doing. I'm super excited with what God's doing in your life. I have the privilege and the honor, and I don't get to talk to all of you, but I get to talk to some of you and every single one of you. It just brings me to tears to know the transformation that's taking place because you belong to God because you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're his poem. He's working on you. And sometimes we can't see it overnight, but we look back and we see there's progress being made. And then it's so beautiful to study His Word and just to know and be reminded that these are the principles of what it is to be a Christian, that as I'm making my decisions, as I'm going before my day, as I'm facing my situations, my aim is not to please him or her or them. My aim is to please God. And as I read His Word, He gives me the way it works. You know, Jesus is my general. You're not. Jesus is my general, and he gives me my marching orders. And that's what we read there in verse 2. He says, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know, much of our walk is actually a march. As we report to our general and carry out his commands. You know, I think of what's going on in the Middle East today. I think of these, this evil that's taking place so they're cutting guys heads off and they're not doing it in the back alley they're doing it in main street and they're holding it up and they're parading it for all the world to see their wickedness and so what something has to be done and so there's a there's a war going on and there is a general now leading the way Because there is a fight to be fought, and there are people to be stopped out there who are wicked. Well, the same is true in the spiritual realm. There is a general, and he gives us marching orders, and he gives us commands, and we must obey those commands. It's critical, because so many lives are at stake. You know, this word right here, translated commandments, it actually comes from a Greek word that is more at home in a military environment. Right here we see it's different than the usual word for command. This is a command given by his officer to his fighting men. It's a word that rings with an element of military authority. And that's who we are. You guys remember the song, you know, we're a soldier, right? That's who we are. Sometimes I think we get a little confused as Christians thinking that the things we read in God's Word are articulations of advice from the Almighty or maybe they're simply suggestions from our Savior. You know, I think maybe you ought to do that or perhaps let me suggest this to you. And God says, no, these are these are commands to be obeyed. They're commands from our commander whose sole interest is our soul. And that's why when we hear these... There should be no dilly-dallying. There should be no hesitation, no reservation. We should obey our commander. He is in charge. I think a lot of times we forget. You know, The thing is that Thessalonians already knew these commandments. Look at verse 2 again. It says, for you know, you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. I mean, they already knew. And so why is Paul writing the letter? A reminder, right? And that's part of being a Christian. You sit in a sermon, you sift through the study, you manage to hear the message, and at the end of the day, you say, oh, I've heard that before. And so you let it go, and you don't grow. But I've learned after 25 years of being a Christian that it doesn't matter if I've heard it before. Uh, chances are I have. I have in my heart what matters most, not have I heard it before, But am I living before God the way that I should? You know, don't be bummed if you've heard it before, even if you hear it repeatedly. I really believe that's a necessity. Sometimes Christians think that in order to grow, they need to hear new truth. They want new truth, when in all reality what they really need is a deeper experience of the old truths that they have not really yet conquered in their life. Manny, love your wife. I've heard it before. Please don't say it again. <laughs> well, 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 do you love your wife? Right? Manny, pray. I mean, I could talk to you guys, and you guys, how many how many sermons have you heard on praying? But are you praying? You're complaining. You come up. You go for counseling, and that's fine. Do me a favor. Before you go to counseling, you go talk to men. Go talk to God. Get on your knees. And pray like you mean it. Pray like you believe. But I've heard that before. Yeah, but have you really put it into action to pray, to walk in the spirit. You know, are we doing these things? They had heard this before, but Paul's writing it again because he wants them to grow. He loves them. And so he says, you have, to, you have to make it your aim to be pleasing to God. And then to be pleasing to God, you have to, of course, know the will of God, which is what we read next look at verse 3 for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality you know a life of victory how many of you here today you want to win i want to win okay well, number one you got to give your life to Christ you won't win until you surrender your life to Christ you must be broken Well, I come to church every week. It doesn't make you a Christian. You might die and go to hell. Are you broken? Are you surrendered? It's very important. You know, the the stallion that's out there, they capture it. But they can't write it until it's broken. The pen that you hold in your hand that you write the letter with, if it has its own will and it's not surrendered in the hands of God, then he can't write with that pen. You, we must be surrendered to Christ. If you want to win, you got to first of all trust in Jesus with your heart. And then if you want to win on this side of time, you got to start doing what's right. And in order to do what's right, we need to know what's right to do. We need to know the will of God. You know, it's interesting. Here in verse 3, we have a summary, and then we have a specific. We have a principle, and then we have a precept the summary is, is there in verse 3, is the, the will of God is, is our sanctification. That's God's will, our sanctification. The Greek word translated sanctification, it speaks of consecration, it speaks of living a life of purification, You know, positionally in Christ, we are sanctified. We are set apart when we give our life to Jesus. We belong to him. We're God's people. We're God's bride. We're God's church. We are sanctified by position. But the challenge now is to be sanctified practically, to be who we are. And it's an ongoing process that God is always working on in our life. know the bible says in hebrews 2 verse 11 for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one so we are sanctified but at the same time we are being sanctified god's working with us we got to cooperate with him hebrews 10 verse 14 says for by one offering is perfected forever those who are being sanctified and so that's us you know and i'll just share with you that now I've been a Christian for a long time and I've been given just an infinite amount of grace to be involved in the ministry, but I don't think there's ever been in a time in my life where I feel like God is just wanting to change me and wanting to make me more and more like him with my wife and with my kids and in the ministry And with my mom and with my friends, I mean, I just feel so hungry for him and his word because I am so hungry to be empowered by him and to be changed by him. And I believe that that's what God wants for us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to change us. And he is able to do that as we surrender to him. As time goes on, what happens is God's expectation and will for us is to be more and more consecrated, more and more concentrated. He wants us to be more and more like Him. And it's a progress, it's a process really that won't end on this side of time. You know, and we have to do our best to always go forward and to fulfill the will of God, which is our our sanctification. You guys, my prayer is that we would be... Set apart for him in every area of our life, right? But then he gets specific right here in verse 3. He says again, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. You see, the will of God is that sex should be saved for the sanctuary of marriage. The will of God is not condoms so that so-and-so doesn't catch a disease or so that he doesn't get her pregnant. No, that's not the will of God. The will of God is not freedom to have sex as long as you, quote, love each other or as long as it's mutually acceptable. No, the will of God is to abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God is abstinence until you're married. And where the will of God lives, the grace of God lives to be able to accomplish the will of God. You know, and today we live in a society where they make fun of someone that's a virgin someone that's waiting until they get married. And it can happen in any arena. It could be an AC Green. It could be a Tim Tebow. It could be others that have said, no, I will do the will of God. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart to him. This is the will of God. And just in case you're wondering, well, you know, that's a radical command today, Manny. It was also a radical command back then. And the only reason it's a radical command is because we and they had drifted so far away from the purity and the power of Almighty God and the intentions he has for our life. As a matter of fact, back then, they thought that, you know, the temple prostitution and that whole setting of sex was actually within the will of the gods. And so Paul here is writing and he's telling them something just as radical then as it is today. You know, back then, it's interesting, one of their historians uh, said we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day to day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes you know and so it's it's crazy that was the mindset back then. I have my wife, she takes care of the house, and she has the kids, and that's her duty. I have my mistress, we have fun together, we go to the movies in Disneyland, and then I have the prostitutes and she's the one that where they're the ones that I have that type of fun with. That was their mindset back then you know david guzik said paul gave these commands to a first century roman culture that was marked by sexual morality at this time in the roman empire chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown virtues nevertheless it didn't change the standards that christians had either then or now when you look at this i want to i really pray that you guys would know this that that, that that you would abstain from sexual immorality, it doesn't just mean, well, you know, you don't go all the way. I mean, we're talking about the whole word pornea there. It doesn't just mean, you know, you don't go all the way. It's talking everything that would lead the way to all the way. Anything that might fan the flame to bring you to that point of lust. Christians are to avoid and abstain from any and every form of sexual practice that lies outside the circle of God's revealed will: adultery, fornication, premarital and extramarital intercourse, homosexuality, as well as all other perversions, even the one that is implicit, explicit within the Greek word "pornéon," that is, pornography. We are to flee from all forms of pornography, and let me tell you something: pornography is just not something—not just something you see in a magazine. I mean, you could see it in so many different forms. And we can tell you story after story of so many people that have fallen in this area. You know, uh, I just, I, I don't think I have to go there. I think you guys know those marriages that have been ruined, those children that have been ruined because mom or dad decided to go out and have an affair. You know, those lives, those girls that have been ruined by some boy that said, hey, You know, let's be together, let's sleep together. I love you. You know what? If you're not married and that guy comes to you and he wants to be with you sexually, let me tell you straight out, he doesn't love you. He loves himself. And he lusts after you. Now of course this can be, you know, both ways. A lot of times it's the guys. And let me tell you guys something. You know, you guys are gonna be dating girls one day, you guys are gonna be taking them out. You're the leader. Sometimes you wait for her to, you know, make you stop, and it shouldn't be that way. You should lead them to a life of purity. And all guys, you know, you go to work, and there shouldn't be any flirting. There shouldn't even be a hint of that. Because we're holy. We are sanctified. We're set apart. We are to abstain from all forms of sexual immorality. You know, one of the epidemics we have today is pornography, It's become an epidemic. I read one statistic that said 70% of all men ages 18 to 34 are engaged in full on pornography. If you're doing pornography, my heart goes out to you. I know what a struggle that can be. And if you're doing that, let me tell you what you're doing you're opening doors to demons, you're taking steps to ruin your marriage. You're taking steps to ruin your life. You can't change that. You can't conquer that on your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit will come into your life when you open up and you confess your sin. And you become transparent. And you got to tell somebody. You know, you got to tell them. Because the Bible says we need to bear one another's burdens. 70% of all men. That means that there are some here today. That are engaged in that. And it's not just a problem in the world, it's a problem in the church. One man said that over half of the men that have enrolled in their intensive counseling workshop, workshops for overcoming sexual sin were pastors and missionaries. So it's not just the world, it's not just the church, it's the leaders in the church. One missions agency told him that 80 percent of their applicants voluntarily indicate a struggle with pornography resulting in staff shortages on the field And one seminary professor told him, we no longer ask our entering students if they're struggling with pornography. We assume they are. The only question is, how bad is it? Now, I'm not going to assume you're involved in pornography. I believe God is stronger than that. But I am going to assume that some of you are. And I pray that God would take his word today and that he would change your life that this day you would find the forgiveness and the freedom of the blood of Jesus to wash away all your sins. But not just wash away all your sins, to give you the power to overcome that. You can wait on the Lord. You can wait until you get married. We're going to see some stimulations in our text today that I think are so powerful. You know, verse 4, it says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know, we should know how to possess our vessel. And some think this is in reference to wives. I I believe it's probably more than likely in reference to our bodies. You know, our, our body is a vessel that we live in. And we should know how to possess it, how to control it. You know, before you were saved, your body was ruling you, man. Your body, then your soul, then your spirit, right? But then when you got saved, it was inverted. Now your body's on the bottom. You're ruled by the Spirit, and then the soul, and then the body. You see? And that's what we find now. You guys, don't let your body lead you. That's the way the animals are led. We are led by God. We are led by the Spirit of God. And what we find is we as believers should know how to behave in these bodies. Notice what he says there in verse 4 in sanctification. And honor. I mean, there should be an honorable behavior in us. These eyes, these eyes, in that way, these eyes are for my wife. This body, this man, in that way, is for my wife. And I will not dishonor her. And I won't dishonor me or God. We should know how to possess our bodies. That's what Paul is saying. You're Christians. You should know how to do these things. You know, and in looking at this, just in case you ever find yourself there, and I'm sure we will, you know, uh, there's some things here that I want to share with you. Five things to consider before you even go that direction. Number one, uh, consider your God. Consider your God. You know when Joseph was tempted, and you know you read his story in genesis thirty seven and then forward it's such a a really cool story. Joseph was probably about seventeen years old uh they tell us he was a real good looking guy he was actually real well built he was buff, and um you know he was a virgin. And uh, there's no doubt that he probably had that temptation, that inclination. It's a natural desire for procreation within the sanctuary of marriage, right? And so what ended up happening one day is uh, his uh, boss's wife came on to him. And there's no doubt in my mind that she was beautiful. I mean... You know, whatever your concept of beautiful is, according to the standards of the rules, they try to stuff that down our throat. But, you know, she was probably a well-built, nice shape, beautiful. And with all the promises of saying we can do this and you'll never get caught. And, and, and what if you can do this and never get caught? You know, there's video cameras everywhere nowadays. And, and here's the thing. God, God sees. So what did Joseph say? He said, how can I do this wickedness to my God? Before you go there, before you click on that thing, before you open that book, before you watch that filthy movie, before you go in that arena, you need to ask yourself, you need to consider, number one, God. How can you do this to Him? Number two, consider yourself. And we read that there in verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. How can you live with yourself in doing this? And, you know, we fall into it. You know, we're, we're drawn like the, the Proverbs talk about that, man, that she just this guy just gets seduced, right? Maybe the girl gets seduced. You know, but after it's all said and done, you just feel terrible about yourself. And you start, before you know it, you start eroding yourself and your own integrity and honor. How can you do this to God? And look what you're doing to yourself. You're inflicting your own wounds on your own heart. You're inflicting the damage that eventually will be this opportunity for you when you get married. If you're A Christian, it's so important that you stay clean. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. How can you do this to God? How can you do this to yourself? Thirdly, how can you do this to to the world? This is your contribution to the world. That you live in. Look at verse 5 right there. It says, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. I mean, that's the way the world is. And when we do these things, we, you know, the world that we live in, it's not just what they made it. It's what we've made it. And when we do things like that, we're making the world that we live in. The unbelievers do that. We should not be doing that. We have God in us. We have God's word for us. Consider God. Consider yourself. Consider the world that you live in and the contributions you're making to it. And then consider your siblings. Look at verse 6. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. You know, consider your brother. Right here, he uses an interesting word, and the word is to defraud our brother. And, of course, you know, the way sex before marriage and even sometimes in marriage, but, you know, this intimacy is really intended to be uh, an act of selflessness and so, what ends up happening oftentimes is, uh, you know, they defraud their their brother, their sister. It happens even in the church, and it can happen in many forms. It could be, like I mentioned earlier, you sedu- seduce them. So this guy, look what he does to her, his sister, and this girl, maybe look what she does to her brother. That's part of it, um, but really, the main message here is that girl that you slept with before you were married, she's actually someone else's husband one day. And that she doesn't belong to you. She belongs to God and her husband, not you. How can you do this to your brother? That's what he's saying. and That's why the Old Testament talks about not uncovering the nakedness of, you know, someone else's wife. And so what I believe and I think what the Bible teaches is that man it's so cool when you when you understand that you know you you guys you know that are single and you you know just all of us here but especially you guys that aren't married yet wait on the Lord you wait for your wife and you wait to get married because when you get married and you guys are together intimately God is going to bless that aspect of your life. And what's intended to bond you together will bond you together. Otherwise, what ends up happening is we do damage to the future mate and even children of other people's partners. We have to be so careful, you guys, in this area. We have to consider God. We have to consider ourselves. We have to consider the world that we live in. We have to consider our brother And then the last thing right here is we have to consider the Lord. Look, it says there again in verse 6, the Avenger, for the Lord is the Avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. You know, it's too bad that movie, they tried to take that name away, The Avengers. Man, they're not the Avengers. God's the Avenger. He's the Avenger of those who don't want to come to Christ. Those who don't want to submit their lives to Him. And so before you go out and you do that thing, you got to count the cost. And you got to know that the Lord is there and He's the righteous judge. You know, I don't know, and and I try not to, like, say, hey, you know, this is my punishment for what you did. I try to stay out of that because God is so gracious. And I've seen Him restore lives. I've seen Him give people new beginnings. You know, I've seen it. If you're here today and maybe it's something that you were engaged in, uh, you know, a while back as a Christian or maybe it's something that you're engaged in now as a Christian and yet the Lord has forgiven you and the Lord loves you and the Lord wants to give you a new start. You know, don't let the enemy beat you up. Don't let him beat you up because God is so amazing. He is. You're in His hands. But, I would say this, that if you understand what we're talking about and you continue with eyes wide open to go into presumptuous sin, then you really have to take things like this into consideration and just know that you know, you're know you asking for God to discipline you and in ways that you would never, ever want. I mean, if you're married and you're flirting, that can lead to an adultery and that can devastate your family, your children. You lose everything. Or maybe you have a calling on your life. And like David, it was a crazy thing at the age of 50 years old. And there might be some of you guys here that are older, you know, and you're thinking, oh, no one's going to ever want and be interested in me. And, you know, yeah, if it weren't for the spiritual warfare, that would probably be true, right? (laughs) But the devil and his demons would love to take you down. And they go fishing, and they know what bait to to set before you. Don't, you know, think that it's not going to be there. So when David, and he saw Bathsheba, and uh, he inquired about her, and they found out it was someone else's wife, that should have been the end of it. But what did he do? He said, no, bring her to me. And he had sex with her. And you guys know the whole story. He ended up killing her husband, taking her to himself, thinking that he had it all covered up, and it was all done. It was all fine and dandy. And then one day the Lord sent Nathan to him, and he said, you know, you know, you've, you've sinned before God. He gave him the parable about the sheep and how he had taken this one, guys, one sheep. You're the man. You're guilty. And what, did, what happened? Nathan said, you know, the Lord took you from this place and he exalted you and he did this great work in your life and he would have done so much more. But now, everything's changed. See, the Lord... He's the avenger. And, you know, I don't want God to in any way stop the work that he wants to do through your life, through my life. And so you take these things into consideration. And gentlemen, ladies, keep your heart with all diligence for out of its spring the issues of life. This is one of the most common things we see in the world that we live in today. You see, I want to be more like Christ. I want to grow. I really do. I'm short, man. I want to grow. And so, Lord, how do I do this? And he says, well, you got to have this column, this pillar, this principle of pleasing me. Boom, period. Number two, you got to know the will of God. The will of God is your sanctification set apart sexually and in other areas of your life, right? But then thirdly, he answers it by by saying, "How, how are you going to do this? By, by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in what? Holiness. Therefore, He rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us His Holy Spirit. You see, the way that we'll do this, I, I could never do this um, without the Holy Spirit. And for you, it might not be a sexual sin. It, it might be something else that God's really dealing with you in that seems to be defeating you on a consistent basis, we can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, and for us, uh, I remember, you know, here's the thing. One day I was talking to a, I won't tell you who it was, but I was talking to somebody, and they asked me a question. They said, why is he called the Holy Spirit? Why is he called the Holy Spirit? The Father is a Holy Spirit right and i'm all yeah you're right he he is a holy spirit and jesus was a holy spirit before he came and, and you know second person of the trinity why is the holy spirit called the holy spirit and this is what i've learned i've learned in theology that the way i mean before man started and you know god was always there the the three persons of the holy trinity and, and the way that we see them, and they're labeled, is a way in, in many ways that we can relate to them, that we can interact them, the way that we can perceive them. And when you look at the one who's highest in function and office, he is the father. He is the father of Christ. He's our father. And it's so cool when you know that I have a father who takes care of me. I have a father and he, and you relate to him that way. And then the father has a son. Now that's cool because the second person of the Trinity, he's called the son. And in many ways, uh, we see the way that he relates to the father in the whole act of salvation. But we also have a brother. Did you guys know that Jesus is our brother? So, you know, henry and i were both you know we have no other brothers yeah we have brother man jesus is our brother right we're only childs no we have we have our father we have a brother and not only that uh, jesus is known as jesus we know him as jesus huh and what does that mean jesus means jehovah is salvation so we're always interacting with him that way Every day he's my father, every day he's my savior. Matthew 121, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. We're here today and we're reminded over and over again that I although I'm a great sinner, I have a great savior. I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm free. And that's how I interact with the Father and then the Son Jesus, but then the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, "Well, why didn't he have a name like Fred or something?" I don't know why. You know, the Holy Sp- and he's called the Holy Spirit and then it just, the, you know, the light goes on and then you realize and you guys know, huh? Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. That's what he does. He makes us holy. He's working on us to set us apart, to be a people that we should be. That's why he is simply called the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. You know Jesus said I'm going to go and and I'm going to it's better for you that I go cuz while I'm here I'm kind of limited in one sense to this body cuz I've emptied myself of my divine privileges but I'm going to send you someone else the Holy Spirit the helper and he will guide you into all truth. And so I pray you would be encouraged to know that you're not alone in this. You know, we want to be set apart We want to grow. We want to abound more and more. We want to stay pure and die with integrity in every area of our life. And we have have the Holy Spirit who's doing that work in us. And so catch the vision, man. (laughs) Catch the vision of what God is doing in your life. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Just to know, Lord... That you're making us more and more like you. You you want us to be more and more like you. And so you're, you're showing us the will of God. And Lord, you are doing a great work in cho- telling us, reminding us to be pleasing to God. And then at the end of the day, knowing that we're not alone, that we have help from the Spirit of God. And I really pray, Lord, that families would be blessed. That men would would just be awakened, and women, and Lord, that you would do this work in us. We really want to be a people, and be a church. Lord, that would would make you smile. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, we ask, Holy Spirit, you save them. That they would be born again by turning from their sins today, and making a decision to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray for all the believers. I know, I know it's a battle. But Lord, help us to to fight this good fight. Keep families intact. Keep marriages intact. Keep hearts where they belong. Keep single people pure. Give them the grace and the strength Wait until they get married and flee all forms of sexual immorality. And as we partake of communion today, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to see this cross where you died. Help us to see Jesus the one that we often forget, even in the midst of a religious setting. But help us to see Jesus. I pray in His name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.